Tonight, we're going to do some uh, skill training, and then we're going to then we're going to break up and let you um, talk, and then we're going to have share some best practices. Thursday night, I had the opportunity to talk to the Christian Challenge here, and going home, Christy said, "You've been talking to college students for a long time," and I said, "I thought I said, 39 years. 39 years ago was the first time I spoke to college students, and I um, I don't feel my passion diminish." at all. And one of the things I shared that Thursday night was how um, two Sundays ago, a dad walked up to me. I did his daughter's wedding about three weeks ago. He said, how many weddings have you done? Keith, Russ. And he said, how many weddings have you done? And I said, "Um, bazillion. I don't know. A lot. And he said, yeah, I was thinking about you at my daughter's wedding. Do you you, you have trouble um, doing weddings when you've done so many? And I, I said, no, actually, it's gone the other way. I, I, um, I mean, I don't love doing them. But, <laughs> but in terms of when I get there, the passion I feel for them, I, it's, it's increased, not decreased. And I think it's because I've, I've watched the outcome now <laughs> of marriages and lives. And the same thing with Sunday morning. This, this Sunday morning, this morning, uh, a dear friend came over to me, and she said, you know what, I, and she had tears in her eyes, you know what I'm so thankful for today? I said, no, what? She goes, our church, and she's just weeping, and I said, me too. And I say that because a lot of you have been leading group a long time, some of you not, but, and you go to group, and it feels like group. It feels like, where are we going to put these babies, Ty, and how are we going to put, we're going to do these kids, and, and then, you know, people come in tired, look at you with, uh, with um, blank stares, Never happened to use God, I know, but people look at you with blank stares. And, but I'm telling you, this is life. This is, this is where the kingdom is happening. And I'm not selling anything tonight. I'm telling you, it's um, transformation happens, and it doesn't, it doesn't look like it's happening. You know, people are changing. So tonight we're going to do some, some skill training. Um, one just on some counseling skill training and then some theological skill training, and they, and they tie together. So let me, I read an article called The, the Myth of Self-Control. And it, said, and, it, and it starts with the Bible, and it says this myth goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and their failure. And it says the takeaway from the Bible story was temptation overcomes willpower is always a moral failure worthy of punishment. And then it said modern-day psychologists would not blame Eve. Human beings are horrible at resisting temptation. And so it said that effort, effortful restraint, where you're fighting yourself, it says that the benefits of that are overhyped. And we shouldn't feel so bad when we fail, um, fall for temptations. There's a strong assumption still that exerting self-control is beneficial. Who knew? I mean, it, it, and we're showing in the long term it's not. Now, can you imagine how good a news this was for the readers of this article? <laughs> People who are struggling with self-control. Finally, someone can tell me, I don't have to. It doesn't work. Of course, what are the alternatives? And they, and they said, if we could stop worshiping self-control, maybe we could start thinking about diluting the power of temptation and helping people meet their goals with less effort. Also good news. If you could just meet your goals with, with less effort. And so the basis for this article was a couple of studies where people, they did these studies using some technology, and the people who said they excelled at self-control, they rated themselves with high self-control, and then they did this study, they reported fewer temptations during the study. So listen, this is where I'm going to ask you a question here. So they said, 
rate yourself self-control, I'm a 9 on a 10 or whatever. And then they had these different temptation-type questions. And the people who rated themselves high had fewer temptations. And so the ones who had fewer temptations were successful, not the ones who were trying to exert more self-control. So the argument is, if you're tempted at all, then you're just hosed, and the goal is to not be tempted because then it won't require self-control at all. And so the idea is, so if someone, like for me, if someone tempted me with a big bowl of green peas, it requires no self-control on my part, none. You know, I hate those things. And so what it is, is that we see having self-control as just, well, these people just naturally see more good things as green peas. If you follow the argument there. So they, they just don't need more self-control because just not as many things tempt them. So what's, what's wrong with that argument? And, and don't answer it biblically, but logically, and think false cause here. Where, where is this study, this article, where have they gone wrong? What are some areas? What's wrong with it? And you can holler out if you want to, if you think about it. Did you follow the article? I mean, I kind of flew through it. Russ? Bingo. That's exactly right. And it's like, are you kidding me? There's a whole group of psychologists who are, who are coming up with this, in my mind, completely false cause argument. And why do you, do you think that were those people born just not being tempted by these things? Or did they exert enough self-control where they rewired their want to? And that's exactly right. So then the article goes on and said, what, what can we learn from people who are good at self-control? And I said, what a dumb question. Nothing. You can't learn anything from them. Because if self-control is an overrated myth, why would you even ask that question? Um, and then it goes on to say, people who are, people who are good at self-control have learned better habits. What? They restructure their lives in order to avoid having to make a self-control decision in the first place. Well, isn't that self-control? To reorder your life so you don't have to make a self-control decision. So it's, it's a false cause argument, and it, it's out there everywhere. I mean, I, I could give you a bunch of examples. A couple weeks ago, I talked about my own um, efforts at fixing my shoulder because <laughs> I diagnosed myself, and, uh, which is always a bad thing. And I see this frequently in, in ministry. When the determined cause is wrong, the solution applied is wrong. And the results in people's lives are discouragement. Um, they give up. Disillusionment with God. Shame. And so what I wanted to do is give you some, as you work with people, give you some evidence that has helped me in discerning that maybe there's a false cause here. So someone has diagnosed their cause, They've attached a solution to it, and, and, and maybe they've not, they've, it's a false cause. So first one is, is when they're spinning their wheels. How long have they been dealing with this? How long have they been trying this solution? Long time. It could be that they're not applying the solution correctly, or, or, but it could be a false cause. And so here they are again and again and again, whether it's marriage, temptation, whatever it is, you name it. Another is ex- escalation, when there's a disproportionate response. So they're really emotionally tied in. So if, if something kind of innocuous happens and they really, really come undone, 
about something you think that really shouldn't have been that big a deal, then there's probably a deeper issue that's not being dealt with. And then, and then that brings us to the third. When, whenever there's an external focus, whenever they've, they've decided, whatever the problem is, they've decided it's mostly not my fault, then it's, there's, that's always a false cause because it may be partially not my fault, but, it's, but, I'm, but there's, there's just, I can't think of very many problems that are completely external, completely, I don't have any part in that. And so whenever you hear a lot of externalization, if you remember the right column, left column, you know, left column's out of my control, right column is. When they have a long left column and an empty right column, there's a there's false cause going on. And then when, they, when their solutions are overly simple, but they can sound really good, like if I just prayed more, if my husband would just talk to me more, and, and if they are presenting that like it would help, it's part of the solution, but if they, in their mind, they're thinking, if this would happen, then my problem would be solved, then that's not true. <laughs> Hardly ever is that true. There, there's probably a false cause, and it's going to lead to disillusionment. It's going to lead to working harder, not smarter. So, for instance, they're going to work harder getting their husband to talk, which is always counterproductive. You know, not, not always, but a lot of times. And, and so, um, it doesn't mean that their, their husbands, if they talk to them more or, their, or whatever, it wouldn't help. But it's not the uh, solution. So, when you hear oversimple solutions... And then, and this one, this one kind of ties all of it together. And whenever there's a failure to see hard issues, core problems, um, as part of the problem and part of the solution, then it's definitely false cause. Because my working assumption is, is and, and we'll talk about this and how to help, we're sinful, out of the, out of, out of the heart flow all the issues of life. And so... If no part of their solution involves their heart, then at least it's a partial false cause, and it's going to be uh, an inadequate solution. Like I said this morning, if you heard me, if you feel like you don't express thanksgiving enough, it would be really helpful to make a note to yourself or whatever and say, self, express thanks, express thanks. But that's, that's not a full solution, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So... What would be a real solution if you feel like you don't express Thanksgiving very much? What would be a real solution? Go back and like Rodney was just this morning giving Thanksgiving thanks and he went back and said, stop, God, you know, thank you. He, he, he looked into his heart. And that's much harder work, but that's, but that's the real work. So how to, how to help? One, assume the best of people, but realize we're all sinful at our core and so every problem we have is influenced, at least influenced, by a core heart problem. And, and every solution to every problem, part of it, at least, is going to be at the heart level, not just fixing externals. And you can say, well, I can think of things. Well, yeah, you probably could. If your cars broke down. But I'm talking about your personal problems, relational problems. I'm telling you, there's not a relational problem, personal problem, habit that doesn't have some heart issue as a significant part of the, the, the cause and the solution. Another, and, and, this, and I wouldn't say this in Sunday morning, I'll say it here in front of leaders because it's a little subjective and a little iffy, 
But if you want to help people, watch their pull on you. And what I mean by that is, is as you're talking to them, do you feel like they're trying to evoke sympathy? Do you feel like, I feel like I'm being manipulated. Not their words, but there's just something about it. Or I feel like they're trying to get me to take their side against someone else. It was one lady who, Christy and I helped some, and I always felt like when, when she started talking or sharing, it wasn't her words, but she just felt like, you know, she was wanting you to pat her on the head, you know, like, uh, you know, nice girl, it's okay. You just had that pull on you. And, 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 and later on, I saw her life fall apart, and I recognized, oh, that, was, that wasn't healthy. And she, she ended up having multiple affairs, and her pull was, um, was real, a, a negative kind of pull. And so I think you can ask, what's the gravitational pull they have on you personally? I would tell you this, keep it to yourself, by and large, in and, and a rare situation. But I mean, you wouldn't say, uh, Joe, your pull on me is I think you're trying to manipulate me or taking their side. And I think there's times when that's okay, that's appropriate. But most of the time, but, but then you can get into judging and what if you're wrong? What if you're just your subject? So I wouldn't go around, you know, acting like you're an infallible prophet. We don't have a lot of those running around, thank God. Um, people who, my gift is prophecy, therefore I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong with you. We don't have a lot of that. Um, God does speak clearly. We don't always hear clearly. So my point of bringing that up is sometimes their pull tells you, tells you things their words aren't, but it's mostly to help you help them. It's not so you look smart or spiritual or um, really like you have deep insights. So I would just say, for the most part, keep it to yourself. But don't, don't disregard it. And then uh, the, the, the next is our sin is a wicked problem. And that's double meaning there. It's wicked. But wicked is a problem that, that defies simple solutions. And so um, when you're helping people, if you help them understand that... Yeah, you can become more like Jesus, but yeah, you're going to struggle with, we're, we're going to struggle, and this problem is, is, is going to, this problem, these problems, relational, they resist simple solutions, and so let's just buckle in, and that's where I'll throw out some catchphrases that we use pretty frequently, but we use them because they describe reality, not because they're cute, like direction, not perfection, that's cute, it's memorable, but it describes reality. And, and I'm telling you, people are helped by hooks. These, these, they're not helped by phrases that aren't tied to reality, but when they're phrases that are hooks on reality, they help people. It's about direction, not perfection. That's a good way of helping people when they understand this is a wicked problem. Training, not trying is another hook. Really helpful. There's a lot of people have been helped by it. I, I didn't think it up, but it's a... It's a really helpful model. Trying, trying is pass-fail. Training is you train. And if you're shooting free throws and you miss a free throw in training, then you still train. But in trying, you miss a free throw, you fail. And then fighting is winning. That's also a, a simple but a helpful model for people when, when, they're, when they're trying to deal with sin that's a, a, it's a wicked problem, that fighting is winning. Because fighting doesn't feel like winning. If I'm still fighting with this, still spinning my wheels, still going, then surely I'm losing. Um, well, it could indicate that you maybe need to try a different s- solution. However, um, in this life, in the already not yet kingdom of God, fighting is winning. 
So keep them struggling in the right direction rather than pursuing an easy fix that's no fix at all. So, false cause. Um, watch for it. And um, again, don't, don't be the false cause police and, and point it out, but just watch for it when you're list- in order to help people. And um, good, we have some good medical doctors in our church and physical therapists, and they're always looking for, here's the presenting problem, here's the cause. And um, Kevin Swimmer went to see a friend of mine who's a physical therapist, and Kevin had a problem that, that, that this physical therapist was able to help. And it was, I mean, you would have never, if you didn't know, you would have never in a million years connected stretching that part of his body with that injury. And he's, in, he's, he's pain-free now. But it was someone with enough understanding to know what's the real cause, not when we're suffering, we always assume the presenting pain, and then we look for the nearest thing around that. And that's not always helpful. Any thoughts on, on that before we move on to the, some, a, a brief theological aspect of that? Or questions? And you don't have to. I'll, I'll be quiet for one minute and let you think. Maybe 30 seconds. <laughs> 